0: Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by Melody allen Macbeth, an Army veteran, the Executive Director of the Defense Language Institute Foundation, and business owner of Highland Advancement Solutions. Melody, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. We've only recently connected via Facebook. So this is lovely to be able to talk to another veteran whose story I'm going to learn along with the listeners. Well, mine's
1: going to be completely different from the young ladies I've heard so far because I'm a whole generation older than everybody.
0: (laughs) Which I love because I think part of the fun about talking with other veterans is how this service has changed, evolved, what hasn't changed. So I'd like to start off with your origin story.
1: Oh, wow. Origin story. So my husband hates this story, but he's told me not to tell you that I joined the family business, but you know, already did. So uh, yeah, I'm a brat, Uh, born and raised in the army, Um, was never a civilian until I was probably 25, 26 years old because I went from dependent to active duty and back to dependent again. There's definitely differences on each side. And it's a whole lot harder to be a dependent wife after you've been active duty. I can tell you that. Um, it comes a whole different wrinkle in it. But yeah, I've, yeah, last count, I've moved somewhere in the high 40s to 50 times in my life. You know, Some of that's ping-ponging for my business, but uh, a lot of it was, of course, military you know, moves here and there. But yeah, my dad spent 28 years in the army and um, we actually served concurrently. So, you know, he, um, I had come home to the States. I was living with my grandmother because I was having to, you know, it's those situations. DOD schools are not exactly right where you need them to be when you're in Germany. We were stationed in Germany at the time. I was having to do a three hour bus ride every morning, every afternoon. It got to be kind of a problem, especially for somebody like me that gets bus sick. (laughs) So. So I was sent home to the States to, you know, finish my senior year in high school, my junior and senior year in high school with my living with my grandmother, got about, I don't know, probably two weeks through the junior year and was not having a good time. So that long ago, and now we're going to start with how ancient and old I am. (laughs) Yeah, Vietnam was still a pretty fresh memory and, uh, it was, It was enough fresh in that little hometown that we, you know, I went home to that I caught a lot of guff for being, you know, a vet's kid and it got, you know, it just got out of control. And I said, that's it. I'm going to quit school. I, when I was in Germany before I came home, you know, when I was actually a sophomore in high school, I had helped some of the, we were stationed on a CAV base and I had helped some of those tankers get their GEDs. (laughs) I'm like, why can't I get mine and just be done with all this? So I didn't, my grandmother talked me into changing schools. I went to a different school, you know, and, and finished. But halfway through my junior year, the, the college counselor said, you know, you got enough credits, you can be done. I'm like, I'm out of here. So I, I, you know, graduated a year early and then it was 1979. Ah, Here's your first hint to how old I am. And, you know, and, um, there were no jobs, you know, there was, and certainly not for a 17 year old. And so, you know, I got laid off of seven jobs in one year. Cause you're always the first to go. And, you know, I was actually working as a crew chief at Ponderosa Steakhouse of all (laughs) places. And the recruiters would come in every day for lunch. And so I knew all these guys. And of course I, you know, that made me feel at home being around these guys. And we used to kind of raz each other back and forth. And I finally just went down to the recruiter's office and started knocking on doors. And it was, yeah, now I know there's gonna be some branch rivalry involved (laughs) here, but you know I was like I stood outside of the Air Force recruiter's office and said, mmm, my father will kill me. So I went in and I talked to the Navy recruiter and he said that I couldn't be a munitions diver. And I'm like, well, then I don't (laughs) want to play. I knocked on the door at the Marine Corps office and he said, ouch, your father will kill me (laughs) (laughs) because he knew my dad from high school. And so I ended up over in the Army recruiter's office and, you know, ended up talking to him and doing some things along that line and. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot more to that story. But in the end, I was still shy of my 18th birthday. I could Mm. not sign. And so my parents actually um, PCS'd, came back. And I went and I told my dad, I said, I want to go in. This is what I'm going to do. You know what's going on. He looked at me and he said, my sons, yes. My daughter, no. (laughs) And he was not happy at all. Understand this is only what? three and a half, four years after women were allowed to be regular active duty that we weren't going to be, I was never a whack. I was never mm-hmm. going to be a whack. I was too young for that. And um, so he, he finally, I said, look, you can do it. It was two weeks away. I said, you can go with me and make sure I don't get a raw deal, or I'm going to just wait two weeks and go anyhow. So he went with me and it was a good thing he did. I was going to get a raw wow. deal, <laughs> you know, but um, I, he did straighten the paperwork out, make sure that You know, I got everything that I needed to have. I, I had wanted to go for German. I knew from my ASVAB that they set me up They, I took the DLAT. I knew I was going to go to DLI, you know, and my father had gone through DLI when I was a freshman in high school. So I knew exactly what I was looking at. He had gone for German. I already spoke a lot of German at that point had spent pretty close to 10 years in Germany, you know, different um, assignments. So it's like, that's really comfortable. And then they stood back and they go, we'll give you $4,000 if you go to Russian. <laughs> <So> <laughs> and there's no slots for Germans. It's like, okay, guess what? <laughs> so I ended up becoming a Russian linguist. And uh, you know, the rest of it's really a lot of history since then because that, as I told you, when we first started um, talking about having this afternoon, Last week marked the 40th anniversary of when I left for basic training. Amazing. So, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. So
0: talk a little bit about going to basic training, because like you said, at the time, so few women were in the military, allowed, you know, the quote, right. quote, allowed in the military, which is so crazy to think of today. And that coming off the heels of Vietnam being so unpopular. So as a woman going into army basic training, what was that like?
1: I'm not sure I'm the best person to answer that because I was fully prepared. I knew exactly what I was going in for. I knew that, you know, it was tear them down to build them back up. I knew the games that were going to be played. I knew what drill sergeants st- sounded like because my dad had been one. So, you know, I I had been through kind of a lot of that already. And, uh, you know, we had, we had done two and a half years in Fort Benning, Georgia. I, I knew exactly what cadence sounded like. You know, that's what you wake up to every morning. So some of that, I'm not sure I have the best perspective on, but I can tell you that we were not welcome. That was very plain and obvious, you know, Uh, at least in my mind, we were always being kind of told, you know, it was, I'll give you an example. All right. We went to the firing range. We're zeroing weapons. We're qualifying. We're doing all this kind of stuff. I've been shooting since I was seven years old. And I did. I, I had a very good, very tight pattern and finished before everybody else. And I had to take it to the tower. And they announced from the tower and started browbeating the guys you're going to let this girl beat you. And wow. it's like, that's not how you do this. That's just not how you do this, you know? But that was, you know, that's how a lot of things were done during the time that we were there. I was in Fort Leonardwood, Wood, Missouri, oh, you know, and, and nasty hot at this time of year. But, um, you know, it was, it, it just, I went through a mixed um, unit. So there was three platoons of guys and two of girls. And a lot of times that was, it felt like that was used as an opportunity to abuse the women. Okay. We were, we were set up in situations where the guys are bigger and stronger. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it's like hitting you with stuff or things that you were going to lose. And there were times when people would laugh about it. Now that's not, it wasn't, I'm sure that some of those people, if they had the distance and the memory of it now would say, what was I thinking? I would like to hope that's what, they thought. <laughs> but at the time it was the culture. You know, we were trying to break in to the old boys network and they did not want to let us in.
0: How many women were in your, is it a platoon?
1: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be good with those kind of numbers. I really don't remember. But the only you know, said there were two platoons of women. And I do remember that. Um, and we, so we had, what, probably four or five squads. 10 people each, somewhere in that range. And, uh, you know, there's some of them that stayed and, you know, went to truck driver school. There was a bunch of us, there was about 40 of us out of that entire unit, guys too, that ended up going to Monterey. And, you know, you can't beat that (laughs) as far as your next assignment, that was glorious, you know, as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, AIT for a linguist is something that is everybody else stands back and goes, woo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and then that's the year that Private Benjamin came out too. So that was always, you know, a little bit of a fun thing. You can quit whenever you want to. And you've got barracks that look over the bay. It's like, he, um, yeah, I guess I did join that army.
0: <laughs> so you go to DLI, the Defense Language Institute for Russian. How many women were there with you at that time?
1: Oh gosh, I would say it was probably half, you oh, know, wow. half, uh, there was, um, you know, there again, I would say there was probably 120 of us to start maybe a class or what they call a rotation. And I, my memory is that it was split half and half and I'm sure it wasn't, you know, cause when I start thinking about particular classes, when there would be 14, 15 of us in an actual classroom, it was less than half women, but you know, we, you know, we, I think more than anything else, when you're talking about that demographic, the people that went to DLI, at least our unit, our group, and I don't know if it's true of all of them, but we were a bunch of mouthy women and we were not letting the guys get away with anything. And so anytime it was, you know, any comp- competition was happening or anything was competitive, we were given back just as good as they were getting, you know, it was just this give and take. And I never felt like I was a minority during that. And, you know, we had instructors that were frankly, that were um, women that had been in the Russian army. So for them, this was, this is just what you do. You don't treat them any different because this is just the way it is. It's a 48 week training. So you're in there for a long time and it's intensive. I mean, and it's not the longest one. You know, I know um, Mandarin Chinese is longer. Uh, I think even Russian might be longer now, but uh, it was different when we went through than what they're doing now is quite different.
0: So do you, do you have an affinity for language knowing German and just the conjugation of words, but like you've got the Cyrillic alphabet and there's so much there. Was it, how challenging or was that, or was it challenging?
1: The worst part for me was having to forget my German to learn Russian. OK, um, because some things are so close that, you know, whether you're saying da, yes, in Russian or ya, ja, yes. in German is like not cross-purposing each of them and having one filter into the other. As soon as I got back to Germany for my first assignment, the German came back. So that wasn't a big deal. Um, my family had spent two and a half years in Okinawa. And so I already had a you know smattering of um, Japanese as well. And then, you know, you and I had talked a little bit about the martial arts in the past. So now I've got a little bit of additional Korean in there. It's a very tiny bit. But, uh, you know, and then you, I guess in in answer to your question, maybe because it's just always been something that, I can pick up words. I, I'm not fluent in any of these languages, including English. It's just not in, you know, I wouldn't ever say that was my case, but, uh, I can get by. I can do the important things. I can ask for a beer and I can ask for the bathroom. They go hand in hand. So
0: So when you graduate from DLI, what was your job? Um, well, we weren't actually done at that point. So you know, uh,
1: when, you, when you graduate from your language training, you then have to go learn your actual job. So what it is you're, you're going to be. I was an intercept operator, which was meaning I listened to radio traffic back then and tried to figure out what was going on across the world. And so you have to go and learn the equipment side of things. You have to go and learn the procedures as far as that goes. So you go to San Angelo, Texas, Goodfellow Air Force Base. Um, and we spent some time down there. The rest of our unit then went to Fort Meade. Um, my husband and I did not because what? Sorry, Fort, Dun- Fort Devons. I always goof it up. He's correcting me over here. So that's nice.
0: <laughs> and, uh, he went through language training with you. Yes, that's where we met. Yeah, we,
1: we actually met at DLI and um, we got married in San Angelo. Uh, we actually got orders to two separate places. And so, you know, like I said, my dad and I served concurrently. And so I had talked to dad and said, you know, what am I going to do? And He says, you're going to have to get married in the States because they're not going to change either of your orders. After you get here, and so we got married, and uh, you know the rest of the unit then went to Devon's. In fact, it was the day that everybody left after final formation. Sam and I went and got married because that's just what you do. <laughs> <laughs> it is what you do. <laughs> so, and we stayed for another training after that. So we straight we stayed to be transcriptionists. So word for word capturing of what was said. And, you know, and then we went to Germany. So it was, it was a very long time from basic, you know, and to actually landing at your first assignment. And back then DLI was like animal house. It was like being in college, you know, it was, it's uh-huh. intense. It's eight hours of language instruction a day. And then you've got study hall at night and you're expected to keep up. You know, there's not a lot of coddling going on. That's just, it's, that's just not the Army way, you know, but uh, it does, it, it, it's not like what it is now. I can tell you that having been to, you know, the Presidio of Monterey being on base on post and seeing how, you know, some of the physical requirements that are being involved now, we didn't have quite as much PT requirements while we were in language training as what I see the students do now, you know. And that you know, that huh. came as a response to us spending a year there, ending up in our, you know, destination units, and they're going, they're out of shape. What happened here? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so so I, I get where all that kind of came from, but I I tell you, sometimes I look at what's going on out there and and they're strack. I mean, they're the best um, soldiers and sailors and airmen that I've ever seen. They're just like on point and so intense about what they're doing with their languages. And I think, man, if that was me, would I have quit? (laughs) 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 So, um, but we had fun. We really had a fun time.
0: So then you get to Germany and you're transcribing what you're listening in on. And how long did you do that for?
1: Um, well, there was a little wrinkle, <laughs> okay? When I checked into my first assignment, little did I know, I was already pregnant with our first son, okay, or our first child. And uh, I didn't, it took me a little while, you know, it wasn't, it was very early in the pregnancy, and so it was just a little bit later that I found out. And uh, so I ended up working down in the training office. I ended up working in the orderly room. I did work in my unit for a very short time, but not a whole lot and i didn't do what the typical linguist gets to do so that has always been a regret of mine is that i didn't get to do a lot of that yes i spent time on tapes yes i spent time on you know doing the actual training stuff but i was kind of sequestered off because of that pregnancy and they at that time remember these guys just don't know what to do with a you know a maternity situation and so there was you know there was definitely some you know, different opinions about whether I should have been there or not. Yeah. The words, you know, if the army wanted you to have a husband and a baby, we would have issued you one. That was all kind of brought out. I saw um, peers of mine that might've, you know, we single moms that they were forced out, you know, um, in that sense, I guess I was lucky enough to, to be married. That didn't happen. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, it just was, it came down to the point where we were a tactical unit. And so I knew what was going to happen. We went to reforger, we went to border duty and the things that we did as a unit and the whole unit went and that meant both of us were going because we were both in the same unit. And, uh, you know, then we're talking 24 hour a day babysitting, you know, childcare, all those sorts of situations. So we made the decision for me to separate from active duty and I still did my entire niche but I separated from active duty while I was over there and went back to the dreaded, you know, dependent wife. Now I realized my mom was a dependent wife. I know all about dependent wives, you know, but you do, you lose your entire um, identity, you know, and there are Mm -hmm. people now that were in the unit that they, you know, they don't remember me. That's fine. I get that. But sometimes it's just kind of like, Hey, I I was there too. And Sort of a weird thing is um, my husband's brother ended up in our unit, so wow. there was like three Macbeths in the unit. And so, so there was yeah, it was it was a little um, a little strange in some senses, but you know. And then I've heard some of the ladies on your earlier um, sessions here talk about you know this whole situation where people will not recognize us as veterans and I definitely deal with that where I live it's horrible (laughs) I have come to wear my U.S. Army veteran hat just to tweak people (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah and I have been accosted many times actually have I've been challenged in parking lots I've been challenged in grocery stores I've been challenged in a lot of places how dare your husband allow you to wear his hat <laughs> that is unbelievable. It is. It is. But you know I'm older. I, I certainly don't look like I ever went through basic training. I've gained a lot of weight, of course. Um and you know so there's but you know there was a women's veterans group that I was invited in and I went to a couple of meetings but with my work schedule I wasn't able to go. These were World War II army veterans and you know and and different service veterans. And I look at those ladies like, and hey, you think I look too old to be a veteran? It's like, come on. But yeah, it's um, you know, there's a there's a definite idea out there that women can't possibly be veterans. Yes. And oh, then if yeah. you you do meet somebody that says, Oh yeah, I you know, my sister or my cousin or something, but you're not really a veteran because you never went to war. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I saw I saw um, a posting not too long ago, and it really hit home for me. And I really thought that's the best answer right there. Like number one, I was a Cold War veteran. You know, there really wasn't action to go to. We were as close as we were going to get where we were stationed. And you know, and but even if it had been later, and I had never left the states or something of that nature, which does happen to a lot of veterans. You know, once you join that branch of service, you're theirs. It's not your choice anymore. And so you go where they send you. So if they chose not to send me to the front lines, that's not my fault. I'm still a veteran, you know. And and I get, I think from living where we do, it may, it's made me a lot more militant about my veteran status than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Because it's like I said, it's more about representing for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, how dare you? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I did all that too. You know, I went through basic. I, you know, I was in the top of my class at Russian. I did all those things. You know, I wasn't the top, but I was in the top. And, you know, so it was, it was like, how, how dare you?
0: Yeah, agreed. And it's uh, what I've said before. Why I wanted to start a podcast because uh, just to educate. The war movies that we see are always the men's perspective, and the women are there to entertain the men or you know, at right. night off duty, that world. Or trying to be men. Or trying, you know? Exactly. And so um yeah. I got out in 03, and I for 15 years didn't really talk too much about it because. I got the whole, you don't look like a veteran. Well, you didn't go to war. Yeah. Oh, but Mm -hmm. you were just in the air force. So that's not really the military, you know, but I've deployed in PCS and I went to over 30 countries and I've traveled to almost every state. And like you said, I put the uniform on and there's a lot of times I didn't have a choice what, what to do and what do veterans look like? What do female veterans look like? So it's actually opened doors for me later that there's all these programs now, especially in Los Angeles, where I live, where Hollywood wants to be more inclusive and how can they do that? Let's open up a lot of programs to veterans. And so then all of a sudden within the last three years or so, I was like, Oh wow, I'm being recognized as a veteran. And now all these doors have opened and these programs and opportunities are available. And so many women are out here with the men. And I think even with the generation post 9-11, because so many women are in the military now serving a lot of the guys, the male veterans are just, it's it's no big deal to them. It's just like, they're back in the military, right? Because we've got such a presence now. And I think I was reading that over 30% of female veterans are post 9-11 veterans. So we're, the branch we we keep going in we're not going anywhere so you're going to have to accept it and see what what does this look like and hopefully educate people and i'm so sorry that you get accosted like that where you live it's i um i have a similar experience to that it's only happened to me once but i was at a lowes parking lot and they have a veteran parking spot and i was like this is so cool and so i parked in there And when I got my hair down and I don't look like this veteran and um, somebody was like, you you shouldn't be parking there. That's stolen valor. (laughs) I was like, who are you to question? So I was like, well, what makes you think I'm not a veteran? Well, you don't look like a veteran. What does a veteran look like? And they just huffed and puffed and they went inside. But I was seething about it, but also like felt so helpless
1: Yeah. And my, you know, my vehicle doesn't say anything about being about either one of us being veterans as far as that goes. And so, you know, when we have parked in things like that, it's been the same sort of hairy eyeball. (laughs) And, and, you know, I mean, realize that where we live and I don't know if it's fair to call out exactly where I live, but people can easily find out. Um, you know, it is nothing to go to the grocery store. That's just 10 miles north of us and see a horse and buggy tied up because we're in Amish country. And so it's very conservative and it's very, you know, I've heard people that have come to the area that say all of your radio stations play music that's five and 10 years old. Why haven't you guys caught up yet? It's like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about, you can walk through any of our neighborhoods and you'll see garage doors open all night. That's just a, the kind of area that we're still in. I wouldn't recommend it, but it does happen. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so it's still a little, you know, for lack of a really PC term backwards. And they just don't really get that, you know, there are people that have done other things in their lives. And I uh, believe me, I can definitely say that half the people, if not most of the people that work with me are probably sick and tired of hearing that I'm a veteran, of me bringing up my service. But in that sense, not a single one of them will ever question whether that woman, that other woman could be a veteran. Cause they'll say, I know one, you know? And she doesn't look anything like you would think that a veteran would look. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm, I'm vocal about it. Of course, I'm not, I'm one of those people that's never met a stranger. So, you know, as far as that goes, it's, it's not hard for me to talk to other people and you know i i don't walk around and trumpet it i don't think i don't like it's not the first thing i say to somebody new but it's usually part it becomes part of the conversation because they'll say something else you know it's like how did why did you move so many times in your life you know how does all that happen and it's it's because of the background right. so right. you know i mean I was in, of course, that's where I met my husband, both of his brothers served, both of my brothers served, both of our fathers served, both, you know, I mean, it just goes back, Um, you know, I've got uncles that were in, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's got uncles we're just so... We we homeschooled our kids uh, way back when, because they're all grown up and have kids of their own now. Yes, I am a grandma. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we did a Memorial Day thing one time and we started trying to track back how many people in the family were veterans and it just became one after another. And so that's where the real, I joined the family business sort of line. And it is, it's a little cliche sort of toss out line, but it, it causes a couple of questions, you know, that usually opens a conversation. What do you mean? So then you get to talk about it and they will say, well, I didn't even, number one, you'll get, well, I didn't even know we had Russian linguists. I didn't even know we had people that did that did that kind of work. And then I sure didn't know that women did it, you know, and actually women have been at DLI for a very long time. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, the women have had a huge uh, impact on war efforts for the very longest time. I mean, if you look back at the code breakers during World War II, they were mostly women. And so, you know, some sometimes it gets overlooked, our contribution to what has happened in this country on the positive side. And I know there's a lot of conversations these days about what's happening negatively. And I believe we're working forward in that, you know, space to make it better which we should continue to do if you just stay stagnant you become stagnant you know we need to always be growing and improving but you know at the same time we got to not forget some of the good things that have happened in the past you can't throw out the entire past and so you know looking at the accomplishments of what women have done in all of the different areas. I think that needs to be taught a lot more too. Hidden Figures was a great movie. It's a great book, you know, as far as that goes, to be able to really point out what some great women have done in our past. And I think more of that needs to happen. Let's start telling some of these stories about how these, you know, and I don't want to say these men, but, you know, how other things would not have ever happened if we hadn't been involved, you know? So... I just think that's really important that we not forget those contributions.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And how they're happening today. Cause I've got some girlfriends from 2003, 2002 who went into Iraq, Afghanistan, Qatar to set up the first, the first time women had ever had these jobs and were pivotal and critical to the mission. Um, and some of them are shy to tell those stories. I think that's what I've found in doing the podcast is some women, are are shy about talking about themselves about tooting their own horn um who maybe feel like a little bit of oh but i just it was really everybody else and my part was so small it's not worth mentioning which i can respect and i get the whole we're here to build up the team and everybody it's the ensemble of what we do but your story is important your contribution matters Right. That. Yeah. So I agree with you. Some of my girlfriends are still shy about coming out of that place to yeah. discuss it. They also met a lot of pushback from people in their unit for mm-hmm. having ideas, for being forward-thinking, yeah. for maybe shining, if you will, a little too bright. Right. And um, you know, they they haven't come to yeah. terms with that, and they're not ready to speak about it. But there will they'll get there. It's happening.
1: Yeah, it'll, it'll happen. Um, you know, I, I see some of the younger veterans that are out today or actually active duty even. And I, I see some of that trepidation, that little bit of nervousness about opening their mouths. Cause it, I think that the whole idea of it really being a man's world hasn't completely gone away. I would say it's much less than in my day, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know that it's completely gone away. And, and that's, I think, built on the lopsidedness still of the leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, just the, the ratio Mm -hmm. when we're seeing that improve, you know, as far as that goes, but, uh, you know, I do hear some of these young ladies say, well, you know, I think we could do this, but nobody's ever going to listen to me say it. And so I ask, well, have you said it? And they haven't listened to you because that's that frame of mind doesn't matter whether you're military or not. You know, if you're working in the civilian side of things, and you've got a great idea, and you're just sitting there not helping anybody. And so that's, you know, I, I like to think that I've always been, you know, somebody that really gets the input from my teams, whether they were military or not, you know, I didn't really ever I did have rank when I went in basic training because I was a ROTC in high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Yeah, so I went through basic as an E3 and so I was actually a squad leader. So, you know, that was my the full extent of my military leadership, you know, as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, as for um, the outside now, you know, I've, I've been in charge of some really big groups. I own my own company. I have people that work with me. You know, things along that line. And so there is that leadership aspect. And there's some of it that does come from, you know, definitely my military experience. It's like there's going to be casualties. Mm. Knowing that sometimes that is going to happen is a little bit liberating because you can say we're not going to come out of this unscathed depending on the situation and being able to call that at that time like sure you want to limit the damages as much as you can but there are times when you have to recognize that that is going to be the case and then do what you need to do Mm -hmm. you just have to power forward and get it done Mm -hmm. and thankfully I don't have to deal with that so much in my world now but you know I have had to in the past so
0: to backtrack just a little bit um you have your son you're overseas you're becoming the quote-unquote dependent wife Um, um and then did your husband stay in the military? No, I mean, he did
1: his full hitch. You know, like I said, we both did our full hitches. I just separated from active duty because I actually got called back while we were in Florida. I got the call to come back. I did not have to go back. He had to extend us so that we could go, get quarters. So he was in for um, his active duty was a little more than five years, I believe, out of our, our entire six years. We had to sign up for six years. And so, okay. you know, we did the full six years and he had some that was, uh, you know, went back onto the IRR. And then he did actually sign up into, I think it was a guard unit in Florida where we were there down in Orlando. And, but he became a breadman, So that's delivering the bread to the grocery stores and the restaurants and things like that. And bread men work Saturdays and there's no leeway for letting them to go somewhere else. And so he, you know, he did have to kind of separate couldn't couldn't go and do his yeah his drill and things like that so and it was it was um it was a unit that they were getting deployed a lot so you know at that time so it was tough but uh you both of us I think in there's a lot of times that I've wished that I had stayed in a lot of times I wish I had stayed in especially now that I see all of our peers are you know, double retired. They retired from the service. Now they've retired from the alphabet agencies or whatever else they worked at, you know, and it's like, golly, that would be nice. But uh, yeah, I'm still out here slogging away.
0: (laughs) 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 I know my girlfriends have retired in recent years and part of me is so envious of that, but Part of me, I'm glad I I did the path I did, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, I need to find a man with survivor benefits.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that is one of the big things is, you know, things have changed and having that healthcare option, it's a big burden right now. I mean, uh, we won't even talk about that any further, but it's, um, that would have been nice to have had, but, and then, you know, you can't ever look at the road, not traveled. Because right. there's so many things that could have happened. And, you know, we've had a really hard life at times. We've been through some really bad and horrible, ugly things, but we've been through some really great, wonderful things too. And so that's, you know, we've been married for, oh, are you ready for this? The end of January, 39 years. And <laughs> and all because of Monterey.
0: <laughs> I applaud that. That's amazing. Do you speak yeah. Russian to each other every now and then?
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but not <laughs> too much. I mean, we it's not really that, that often anymore. We've got a couple of friends that are really still, you know, they're much more fluent than even when we were around them. And hearing them makes you envious. Gosh, I wish I had kept it up better. And I have used mine after I got out. There was a couple of um, situations where I've actually had to use my language and a couple of situations where I got forced to use my language. But um, uh, recently I started picking up uh, Duolingo is a nice little app. It's free. And so I just started practicing my Russian again. Just you get your mouth wrapped around some of those different letter sounds, you know, and uh, that's all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, why won't my tongue work the way I want it to? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And then hearing it again, you know, you really do have to, the best way I can put it is if in the United Kingdom, they speak English, it's just not American. And so, you know, sometimes when you listen to somebody, when you immediately start listening to them, you can't understand what they're saying. But after a few minutes, you start picking up the cadence and some of the, the difference in, in word pronunciation, and then you understand them a whole lot more. And it's the same with coming back to your, lang- your your studied language, your target language at DLA. It's like, oh, oh, I remember that. Oh, it's coming back to me now. <laughs> you
0: know? So cool. Um, like I told you, I... I qualified to, to take all the language aptitude tests mm-hmm. and all they offered in 95 was basically Mandarin Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That just did not sound appealing to me because I saw how long the training was, like right. you mentioned that it was such a lengthy and you could wash out at any time.
1: Yeah, you could. Yeah. And, you know, and we did have people that left, you know, really good people that I'm, you know, we're still friended with, you know, of course Facebook is just makes you friends with everybody nowadays, but yeah. you know, <laughs> what do you want to be or not sometimes, but still, uh, you know, people that didn't make it through um, the end of the Russian training went on and had really distinguished military careers. So it's, it's no hit on somebody if they didn't make it through the language. You know, mm-hmm. Some of those, You, one uh, gentleman I'm thinking of in particular, he was young. He was like the youngest in our class. And so he was still 17 when we got there. And that is a lot to take on. It's a lot of stress. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, unfortunately, that particular training does have people that don't, they just, they break and, um, mm-hmm. and they do lose people. And sometimes in that same sense, that accomplishment you get when you do finish there's a lot of things you can say, okay, if I can do that, I can do anything. Yeah. And I have you know with my unique position being president of the, the foundation at DLI now, I get to actually talk to a lot of alumni. And I you know our definition of an alum is different. You know, I also work in the world of higher ed. so I'm a consultant. I work with uh, nonprofit organizations. I help them with the databases they use to keep track of their donors. You know, IRS tax law, all the fun stuff, but you know, the big thing really is, is that, you know, a lot of institutions define an alum as something different. So one institution may say that you have to have graduated or you have to have, you know, done this sort of amount of semesters or something like that. At DLI, we kind of uh, we we pretty much think that if you got there and you studied one class, you are now an alum, you know? And oh, right on because you were, you know, you went through everything. And for whatever reason that you didn't get to finish, there's a lot of reasons because this is a long training, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And so there can be a lot of reasons why somebody doesn't finish. And it's a microcosm. I mean, our peers in that sense. Our, you know West Point AOG and the Naval Postgrad School and you know I don't live far from the, the Army War barracks up here in Carlisle. You know so you, we have all these sort of sister organizations that we look at from the foundation standpoint. and you know we, we see all of our people in a, as this microcosm of the military and we will defend them rather vociferously, I will tell you that much. And, you know, it's nice to constantly have that influx of people that you can talk to that have those like experiences that remember this organization or individual that was on base, you know, or, you know, on campus. I always end up saying on campus because I deal with higher ed all the time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, anybody that's ever gone to Monterey knows what Campagnos is. And it's just a little deli that's right off post, you know. And so it's it's one of those things you talk about the Slope Memorial and they know what it is. And you, so it's that instant camaraderie that you get just for somebody that was there. And you can get that whether they graduated or not. So that's why we stay there on alum, you know. And we've had some really great alum alumni come out of DLI they've gone on and done really wonderful things and then we've had people that the only time they ever talk their language, their target language, With their dog or their cat, and that's fine, you know. They did their hitch. They they served their country, and you know they hopefully did it with distinction. You know, and they have that nice DD two fourteen, and that's all that really matters, you know. So
0: that's so nice to hear, um, because the military is its own camaraderie, and then just to have that even in a in a tighter scale and a more personal scale with DLI, it's got to be so meaningful.
1: It, it is. I, I've laughed sometimes and said, you know, a lot of people, they say they count sheep when they can't go to sleep. And for me, I'm, I'm into numbers and what I do for a living. And so there's times when I try to figure out what the percentage is. So when you start looking at what percentage of Americans ever actually served, and then, you know, what percentage of those that served are women and what percentage mm-hmm. of the women were linguists. And then you start getting into these microcosms of numbers and you start to, re- it, it can kind of build you up a little bit. It's like, hey, I guess I am okay. <laughs> you know? so,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What I was getting to with your business, you're the founder of Highland Advancement Solutions. Can you share with us how you developed that?
1: Hmm. Well, um, way back when, a hundred years ago is <laughs> one of my common sayings. Uh, we got invited to um, be part of the Pennsylvania JCS, and the JCS is a great organization. Unfortunately, like a lot of organizations like that, it's starting to, at least in our area, peter out. You know, um, young people don't have time, or maybe don't have the interest, whatever. But at the time, we were we were involved in the JCS, which is a nonprofit organization. And so I was doing a lot of event coordination and some fundraising, not a lot, but, you know, mostly event coordination through that Um, leading, you know, like being a board member, things of that nature. So I had this nonprofit experience and an opportunity came to go to work for a local independent private school in our area. And so I went to work there and ended up moving down in the alumni and development office at, at this institution. And so that turned out to kind of be a niche for me. I just didn't, there was never in my background that I ever thought this is something I know how to do. This is something I want to do. But I got, you know, I was made the the database administrator and it was being able to standardize information. So something so simple as making sure that all, you know, the women are marked as women, you know, just marking a gender in the database because now folks, this was prior to the questions that we have today, you know, so, you know, this was a a long time ago, but um, even now today, I actually do advise institutions on how to handle the questions of, you know, more than it, not being binary gender, you know, how do we deal with that with people now? And what do we do with things like titles, addresses, Mr., Mrs., Ms., you know, it's something simple of that nature. And, you know, and then, like I said, the IRS tax law of dealing with donor relations and being able, so this is the stuff that I advise on, but having, you know, worked in this industry down there in this school, I was there for hmm, seven, eight years, I guess it was. And the opportunity came to start consulting with somebody and that was 10 years ago. And the rest of it's been history in that sense. In the past 10 years, I have never once not had a client. So I've been very lucky about that. There have been times when I've had way too many. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, ah, but uh, that's good. And, and, you know, the the people like our work. They like the fact that we come in and it is we, it's not just a mouse in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have some great people that I work with and we go in and we tell them, you know, it can be as simple as if you start doing it this way, your life will be easier. It can be that simple. And sometimes, you know, we found that they don't really understand how to run the databases that they're using. And sometimes these databases are really expensive. And so you've got a Maserati and the person's only ever driven a tractor Mm. and they just don't know how. And so we we give them driving lessons.
0: Love that. But you're able to pull all your different resources to help organizations
1: Yeah, you know, and I've worked with a lot of different organizations now, everything from, you know, like I did mention higher ed, but I came from what's called an independent school background, which is a high school, you know, and so I've worked also with day schools, hospitals, museums, you know, the National Museum of Women in the Mm -hmm. Arts, which is in DC is one of our clients. And, you know, and, and for them, you know, it's not, it's not even always a situation of there's a problem with the database, we actually step in and help when there's a Um, a gap in the staffing for some reason, you know, somebody may go out on maternity leave. So we've helped with food banks because somebody has been out on maternity leave and you know things of that nature. We just kind of have built a niche of being a great outsource option for these nonprofits. And nowadays with everybody trying to work from home, we've been working from home for 10 years. We've got it down pat. We know exactly how to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've got a couple of institutions that count on us to do all of it for them. And so that's nice. They don't even, they don't even have FTEs anymore for this circumstance, and don't want them. They just outsource it all to us because we can do it faster. We do it all the time, so we do it correctly. And you know, and I know that that's not really taking a job away from anybody because I know that's usually one of the cons about an outsourced situation. You're taking somebody's job. It's like no they had to come to us because they couldn't find anybody for the job mm. it's a real problem in our industry not enough people with uh the training to be able to do it so if you're looking for a good industry to get into <laughs> you know,
0: That's what that I was would
1: be say. It. yeah, yeah. It get, your, get your training
0: yeah yeah once it's so. covid and released back into the wild uh, yeah. you can still work from home doing this and oh yeah definitely and meet with people
1: it still is very rewarding work very rewarding I, I don't ever want to have to do anything else, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of fun because I've been able to kind of, as I've had to go to some area for work for what I get paid to do, I've also set up a happy hour for the DLI alumni so that we can get together with them, you know, and just be able to kind of go around. And I'm missing that this year. I had so much fun last year doing that. And we've tried to do a couple of these video things, but it's so hard because you got all those people trying to talk and you can't really do it. So,
0: right, right. So while you're doing your higher education and maybe going into some of the high schools, does it ever come up your military background? Do you ever have the opportunity to talk to young women? Because I usually like to ask the question, if a young woman were to ask you about joining the military today, what would you say to her?
1: Yeah. um, And I knew that was a question that you do ask. So I started thinking about it. Number one, I have a niece that's currently a Marine. Okay. Now she never came to me and asked me, but uh, you know, as far as that goes, she lives in, was, is from the Richmond, Virginia area. So um, we're separated far enough geographically that I wasn't part of that conversation. But um, you know, she's re-upped, she's on hitch two or three. So I'm thinking she's going to make a career out of it, but she's currently stationed in Japan. But I have had a couple of um, people that have asked me, would you do it again? Um, you know, and, and I it's been my answer has been different according to the person and the time and space that we're in nationally, you know, to be honest with you. And, you know, I, there's been a couple of times when I thought I said, no, I wouldn't because it just felt like we were puppets. We were just being thrown at different things. Um, And you didn't really, you never really do have any control over that situation. Your whole control is don't go in in the first place. But, uh, you know, if you're going to go in, you have to know, and this is the big thing I do ask people, what is it that you want out of this situation? You know, are you going in to get your education benefits, for instance? There's lots of scholarships out there. You know, uh, you don't have to do military service in order to get through a college. You know, there's, there's, believe me, this is what I do for a living. There are lots of scholarships out there. Uh, if you the school that you want to attend doesn't have one, go to a different school. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Once you get to about 35, nobody asks you for your diploma. They don't care what school you went to, as long as it's a real school. But, uh, you know, if you're going because you haven't settled on your your future yet, it's a great place. It's a great way to go see the world, um, meet a bunch of new people from all over everywhere, really broaden your horizons. I think it's a wonderful experience. I really do. Uh, if I had to do it, I was thinking about it today. If I had to do it all over again, oh boy, you know, yeah, I would. I'd do it all over again. Under those same circumstances, I don't see how I could have made a different decision. I really don't. And, you know, and everything that I've gotten out of it, everything that I am today, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, I have these, this business, I have this great association with the DLI Foundation, all of it is from my military association. So, yeah, absolutely, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Am I a great recruiter? Probably not, because I'm going to try to get anybody that comes through. I'm going to ask them, what do you know about languages? You need to go to DLI. You know? <laughs> and, so, and I meet people. I, in fact, uh, the last time that I was traveling, I guess it was in February. I was in Nashville and I had an Uber driver. And he was talking about how he just couldn't get settled into a job. That's why he was doing Uber. Because I always ask the Uber drivers, why are you doing this? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, and so I was talking to him and he was young. And I said, have you thought about going in the service? And as we talked, he let out the story that he had come to the United States with his parents uh, from Vietnam when he was three. And so at home, he could still speak Vietnamese. And so I just started talking to him about, have you thought about going into the military? And with your language background, there's gut. And this is what I think DLI alumni do. We kind of look for, come join my team. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, I had this great experience when I was there. It's pivotal. And, you know, I mean, it's, I can't even begin to. And rapture enough (laughs) about my time at DLI. I just really Mm can't. And you know, the first time I ever heard the song "Journey's Lights," okay, I was sitting in the EM club. At, Mon- at the Presidio of Monterey, which looks out over the bay, Monterey Bay. And I'm hearing this, oh, this is a great song. Oh, it's about right here. No, well, of course it wasn't, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sure sounded like it. And, you know, that, that place has just got such wonderful memories for me. And I think I want everybody to be able to share in that. Now, you know, on the flip side, when my youngest brother went in, I was like, no, you don't want to be infantry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know things of that nature do come into play but uh, you know everybody has their own reason for doing what they want to do in the military Mm -hmm. uh the hardest thing for me to see is somebody just go join up with no plan Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. and then they they do their hitch and they come out and they still don't have a plan Mm -hmm. and then they are very sour on their military experience and it's like well you didn't make that tool work for you Mm -hmm. so you can't really blame it and you know, I mean, I get it. Everybody has a different experience when they're in. I've seen people have really bad experiences, and of course, you know, those of you that have gone to war, I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. I can remember some of the things that my father said. He spent two tours in Vietnam, mm-hmm. so I do know some things about it. But uh, having not, I've never been there myself. You know, my nephew was there. You know, there's there's things that we know, but. Um, you know, at the same time, when you're talking about the military today, it, it's it's really different from when we were in. You get deployed a lot yep. more. You know, I get yep. that. But it still is about what you make of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're deployed and you have time enough to play a video game, which, of course, I'm a big proponent of video games. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but If you have time to be playing a video game, you have, you have time to be studying something and getting your degree if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're not evolving, folks, you're stagnant. And what does stagnant mean? Mosquitoes are growing in you. So cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, we don't like mosquitoes. <laughs>
0: well, hey, if you're listening to this and you don't know anything about the military, you might it might be an eye opener that there's a defense language institute out there, yeah, that it's yeah. not just infantry. Like you said, my brother was a oh, tank no. commander, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I worked in the medical field. There's just so many different kinds of jobs out there. So the great thing now that I also talk about on almost every episode is that with the internet available, you can just research what's out there now. So you really have a better idea of what you're signing up for. Because when I joined, it was just like a pamphlet. And coming from a military background, like you, I grew up in the military. My dad was still active when I went in. So I knew Mm -hmm. I got the culture of it. But if you're not familiar with it, you just, there's so many videos out there and threads and websites. So (laughs) hashtag. Well,
1: there was, when I talked to the army recruiter the first time, he was a hometown recruiter. I knew his name. I didn't know him, you know, as far as that goes, because I hadn't really lived in the area that long, but it was a a name that was familiar to the area. So I knew he was right there. And he, he was just a young uh, sergeant, I guess, at the time. And he started telling me all these things about what I could be and what I could do in the military. And he's just spinning this, you know, rainbow of all kinds of stuff. And I had my dependent ID card in my back pocket because where else do you keep it, right? And and I pulled it out and put it on his desk. And I said, do you want to tell me another one? Because that is not what happens. And so I I told you there was a lot more story to, you know, and so it was, I did walk away for a few months and then had to come back, you know, as far as having my conversations with recruiter at the time, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I, they never tried to get me to do anything else. It was once I passed that DLAP, that was it. I was on a, a fast track to DLI and, um, And that was fine with me because that's exactly what I wanted to do. If I had settled on the army, that's what I was going to do. They weren't going to let me swim.
0: So there you go. (laughs) Okay. So now I want you to go back and repeat everything to me in Russian.
1: Uh Oh, no. Not even going to (laughs) happen. Not even going to happen. I have friends that could do that for you, but sure, not me.
0: No. All right. All right. Well, Melody, this was Uh, so lovely. Thank you for sharing your story with me. Oh, well, thank you for telling the story. You know, I think that's
1: the biggest part is that, you know, if people come to realize that we're out here, we're amongst them. (laughs) (laughs) We're not really pod people, but we're amongst them, you know, (laughs) that they'll, they'll finally start to maybe question, you know, is the woman that's standing in the line next to you that's got the three little toddlers and she's distressed to the max? you know, on weekends, she may be wearing combat boots, buddy, and you need to get used to that idea because that's what life is nowadays. And it's not fair to judge any book by its cover Mm -hmm. because all of our covers are completely different.
0: So applaud that. That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you again uh, for your time. Oh, thank you. And thank you for listening. If you're a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option 1, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year.